Friends, we are just days away from the great feast of Christmas. But every year on this day, the fourth Sunday of Advent, we do something that's a little bit odd as we stand here on the precipice of Christmas. We go back in time. We place our finger to mark the page labeled Christmas Day, and we begin to flip backward in the story of our Lord. One month, two months, three months, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine months back. We go there to visit the moment that God entered the world as a human being. For you see, my friends, God, Emmanuel, God with us, he did not enter the world on Christmas Day. Christmas Day is simply the feast of his birth. Christmas Day just celebrates that moment when our sister Mary beheld the face of God in the little infant which she cradled in her arms. But if we want to see that moment when God stepped into the world as a human being, we've got to go back nine months to the Annunciation. We have to go back to that moment when God the Father sent an angel to tell Mary the startling news that she was about to conceive and that the child in her womb would be none other than the Son of God. This is the moment when God entered the world as a man. And that's why we go back in time each and every year on the fourth Sunday of Advent. We go back to sit with our sister Mary in that moment when God entered the world. We go there to recount the details of God's saving plan. And we go there to listen once again to the song which God brought forth from our sister Mary. Because that song, my friends, has the power to set our hearts right again. That song has the power to prepare us to receive with gladness our Lord on Christmas Day. So let us place our finger in the page marked Christmas and let us flip back nine months in time to go to that moment when God entered the world as a little infant in Mary's womb. It all begins, of course, with the angel Gabriel who was sent by God to deliver a message. Greetings, O favored one. The Lord is with you. You have found favor with God, and behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. Well, as soon as the angel Gabriel departs, we're told that Mary went with haste up into the hill country to visit with her cousin Elizabeth. That great monk and uh, our brother, Martin Luther, reckoned that it would have taken Mary two or three days to get there. But can you picture it, my friends, as Elizabeth opens up the door to find her cousin Mary there standing at the threshold? Can you, can you imagine in your mind's eye that first initial moment of shock? And then once Elizabeth realizes who it is, she reaches out with both arms and takes her cousin Mary. And they begin to laugh and and perhaps even cry as they greet one another there on the threshold. And then Elizabeth begins to give a prophetic word. That is, Elizabeth begins to say things which she could not have known by natural means. After all, the angel Gabriel has just told Mary that she's about to conceive just a few days prior. 
So how is it that Elizabeth knows what she knows? She knows it by the power of the Holy Spirit who gives her a prophetic word to know that her cousin Mary is about to bear a child and that this child will be the son of the Most High. Blessed are you among women and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leapt for joy. My friends, that is a prophetic word. And it's in response to this greeting that Mary begins her famous song, the Magnificat. And as we prepare to listen again to that song, let us be clear about what this song is supposed to do in here. Think back for a moment, if you will. Think back to the last time you took a class in physical science. Now, for some of us, it may have been a number of years before we had a class in physical science. But if you think back to that time, I bet you will likely recall your teacher showing you that a common, ordinary iron nail has a very interesting property. Any old, common, ordinary iron nail can be turned into a magnet. If you take that nail and you take a magnet and you run it along the edge of the nail some 20 or 30 times, you will then be able to take that common ordinary iron nail, ordinary iron nail suspended by a string and it will then begin to point northward. But only for a little while. You see, in a few days' time, all those atoms that you had lined up in the nail by striking it with a magnet over and over and over again, after time, all those atoms will just kind of go back to their old way, and the nail will no longer point northward. And my friends, that is a picture of what our hearts are like. Our hearts were meant to point spiritually northward toward the things of God having been aligned by the Word of God. But our hearts lose direction over time. And they must be realigned by God's Word and Spirit over and over and over again so that they will point in the direction of God's heart. And that is what Mary's song is meant to do to us. It was given to us by God through our sister Mary to realign our hearts that they might once again point spiritually northward, aligned with the priorities of God. And what are God's priorities? Well, let's look now at Mary's song. The first thing we learn from Mary's song is that God sets his gaze on the lowly. My soul magnifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God, my Savior, for he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. My friends, when God set in motion his great plan of salvation, let's be honest, he did not choose the sort of person that you or I would choose. We tend to think of God as working principally through the high and the powerful. We tend to focus our attention on those who hold positions of high estate. And while God certainly can and does use those sorts of persons in high estate, he sets his gaze instead on the lowly. That's his nature. 
It brings to mind that famous quote that was said by the late, great Chuck Colson. I believe he said it in a sermon. Um, He said this. He said, the kingdom of God does not arrive on Air Force One. Think about that. And yet, where are the eyes of our hearts trained? Where is our gaze fixed? We often set our gaze with either joy or derision on the person who steps off of Air Force One. We fix our attention on the aptly named influencers of social media. Friends, this is why each and every year on the fourth Sunday of Advent, we go back in time to be reminded that God chooses and uses the lowly. He fixes his gaze on the humble. We go back in time so that Holy Spirit can realign the focus of our hearts to do likewise. Friends, we we would do well to focus less on who is in the Oval Office and more on the simple, the ordinary, and the lowly who are all around us. We would honor the Father by showing respect and kindness to the little people, the parking lot attendant who takes our ticket, the waitress who serves us at table, the clerk who rings us up at the grocer. When we encounter persons such as this, may God grant us the grace to hear Mary's song ringing in our ears. My soul magnifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. Furthermore, my friends, let this be a word of encouragement to you. A word of encouragement to those of you who who have ever felt inconsequential or of no account. For those of you who, who have felt like you have little or nothing to offer. Friends, if that's you, then let God's choice of Mary speak with power into your heart and your life. God's choice of Mary reminds us each and every year that there is no limit to what God can do through the man or woman who says yes to God's call. Where is the real work of history done? It is done in the hearts and lives of the lowly who say to God, Behold, I'm a servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. So be of good courage. If you have offered your life to the service of God, you can be assured that he is indeed working his purposes out in and through you. So Mary's song teaches us that God's gaze is fixed on the lowly and the humble. Mary's song also teaches us that God shows mercy to those who fear him. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. God's merciful gaze is fixed upon those who fear him. Now, this word fear can often cause confusion. When Mary sings about fear, she's not talking about the kind of fear we might feel from a dangerous predator. This is not the fear of something that's scary like a lion, tiger, or bear. No, this is the kind of fear you feel when you go out into the country on a moonless night 
and you look up and you see all those stars and planets filling the night sky and you think to yourself, what am I but a little speck in the vast expanse of interstellar space? The kind of fear that Mary is talking about is the kind of awe and wonder that we feel when we behold just how great and awesome and loving and merciful and boundless God is. God sets the gaze of his mercy upon those who fear him in this way. Those who say to God, God, I bow down to you. I am not God, you are. I submit my whole life to you. I put my trust in you. Mary's song teaches us that the eyes of God's mercy are fixed on those who fear the Lord in this way. He is merciful to the humble. Well, Mary continues. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. That is, those persons who normally grab our attention, the famous and the powerful, the presidents and the celebrities, the popular and the influential, God scatters them and brings them down in his good time. And he lifts up the humble like Mary and the defenseless infant in her womb. Mary's song teaches us that God brings down the mighty in his good time. Finally, as we reach the pinnacle of Mary's song, we are reminded that God sets his gaze on the hungry and the helpless. He has filled the hungry with good things. The rich he has sent empty away. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. He has filled the hungry with good things. Now it's true, God sees everyone and everything. God sees into the heart of every human being. God sees into your heart and my heart right now. And yet, every year on the fourth Sunday of Advent, we go back to this moment to be reminded that he trains his attention upon the hungry and the helpless. Tomorrow morning at 9 o'clock, our friends at Low Country Pregnancy Center will be opening up their doors. And Mary's song reminds us that God's eyes are set upon the frightened young mother who will walk through those doors tomorrow morning. His heart beats for those mothers. He yearns for them to be told that they are not alone. That there is a God who cares for them. And that God sends his people to bless them and minister to them. That's what Mary's song reminds us of. Likewise, at this very moment, there's a group of men who are gathered around the common room at Star Gospel Mission just up the road. They're holding their weekly worship service and Dr. Marion Platt is proclaiming to them the good news of the gospel for their lives. These are men who through a combination of life's challenges and yes, some of their own bad decisions had ended up on the street. But now they're looking for a second chance. And they will hear this morning the good news of the gospel. The good news that our God is a God of second chances and third chances and fourth chances. God has fixed his eyes on these men. 
And his deepest desire expressed in the song of Mary is that they would be filled with good things. One more example. Earlier this morning, as the sun was rising over the great continent of Africa, a thirsty young woman began her nine-mile journey with a jug fixed atop her head. She was making her way toward that convoluted mass of valves and pipes that is a water mission living water system. That is a mouthful, let me tell you. She will make that journey to get clean water for herself and for her family. And she knows that this engineering marvel, it is maintained by Christians at the nearby church. It's offered as a gift to her. Mary's song reminds us that God yearns to quench this woman's thirst not only by the clean water that will flow out of that treatment system, but deeper still, God's heart yearns to quench the thirst of her heart, the deep yearning to know that there is a God who loves her. And whose people care for her as well. Friends, this is why we go back nine months each and every year on the fourth Sunday of Advent. We go back to have our hearts realigned. We go back in time to allow the strong magnet of God's word to be run along the iron nail of our hearts so that we will point northwards once again. So that our gaze will be fixed where God's gaze is fixed on the lowly, on the humble, on the hungry, the defenseless, and the scared. Friends, may we open our hearts this morning to Holy Spirit. May we open our hearts that, that He might set them right again. That our hearts would be realigned along the direction of God's gaze. That our hearts might be aligned with His heart. Friends, will you join me in praying just that? Let's pray. Gracious Father, as we stand here on the precipice of that great feast of Christmas, we go to our sister Mary and we hear again the song that you brought forth from her. We ask you, Heavenly Father, by the power of your Holy Spirit, that you would indeed, by this word, realign our hearts that our whole lives, the, the gaze of our hearts, might be set in the direction of your heart. And that the name of your Son might be lifted high in all that we do and all that we say. And that we might seek to honor him as we reach out into this hungry and needy world. For we ask these things in his precious and powerful name. Amen.